Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for a break in the middle of the week where we can come and be with your people and where we can uh, refocus and remember why we're here and what we need to be busy about. So, Lord, help us tonight to learn and grow and to think about how we can make further progress in our faith, how our families can mature and grow and represent the body of Christ well in our community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I introduced the subject of catechism, and in a bit we'll be going over our first two catechism questions. And um, I just want to continue. I was reading uh, Professor John Murray's essay on this subject, and I want to continue with that tonight. And uh, you know, help us think through why this is important. Um, let me kind of review. Last time we talked about a little of the history the origin of catechizing and how that developed through history. And tonight I want to shift to the next subhead in his essay called The Need for Catechizing. Catechizing, remember what that is? It's a question and answer method. It's, uh, it's, we, we ask, it could be informal. I could just ask you questions and you give back answers. But in catechism we typically memorize the answers. Uh, so that the and the answers are standardized. Theologians and pastors have worked on formulating answers to particular questions and thought through those to help us inculcate the, the teaching of the Bible into ourselves and into our children and so forth. So catechizing presupposes that there is a need for, for this. The foundation of all religion, Isaac Watts reminds us, is laid in knowledge. In other words, it's not just our feelings, it's not just emotions in, in our faith, but it's knowledge, it's the truth. Scripture attaches great importance to knowledge and gives a foremost place to the mind in understanding. It is through the mind that truth enters man, influencing the affections and directing the will. True it is that knowledge may remain in the mind, and without the influences of the quickening, life-giving spirit, be inoperative in the life. So it's possible for us to know things and not apply them and not put them into effect. But if, if we're going to ever put them into effect, we have to know them first. So it's a first step. Yet the fact remains that knowledge, knowledge of the truth, is the very basis of the Christian life. Hence the need for instruction in the doctrines of Christianity both for the believer and the unbeliever. Ignorance and error are effects of the fall, and it is upon them that Satan's kingdom is built. He's the father of lies. Knowledge and truth are the grand weapons by which it is overthrown and, and Christ's kingdom established in the individual and in the world. Ignorance of the truth and love of darkness is the basic justification for the practice of catechizing. How often this is found true by sad experience. It was a tour of Germany revealing to him the gross ignorance of his fellow countrymen that constrained Martin Luther to take up the work of catechizing in earnest. He says, I've been impelled to cast this catechism of Christian doctrine into this simple form by the lamentable deficiency in the means of instruction which I witnessed lately in my visitation. 
God help us. What deplorable things I have seen. The common people wholly without any knowledge of doctrine. It would be interesting to see if we just went out and did a survey of Christian churches and basic questions about doctrine to see what kind of answers we would receive. John Owen, the great Puritan theologian, was moved by a similar need to compile two catechisms, and he wrote this, Amongst my endeavors after the ordinance of public preaching the word, there is not, I conceive, any more needful, as all will grant that know the estate of this place, how taught of late days, uh, how full of grossly ignorant persons, than catechizing. I have to, read, I have to leave out the parentheses there. I conceive of, of, excuse me, there is not, I conceive, any more needful uh, thing than catechizing. Even more convincing is the testimony of Richard Baxter, one of the most faithful and zealous pastors whom England has seen. He said this, For my part, I study to speak as plainly and movingly as I can, and yet I frequently meet with those who have been my hearers eight or ten years who know not whether Christ be God or man, and wonder whether I tell them the history of his birth and life and death as if they had never heard it before. And of those who know the history of the gospel, how few are those who know the nature of that faith, repentance, and holiness which it requires, or at least who know their own hearts. It'll be readily objected that since God has ordained to save men by the preaching, by the foolishness of preaching, there is no special call to catechizing. But it is not clear, is it not clear that the apostles went further than merely preaching the word? So I've often said if all you get uh, in your study and maturity as a Christian is what you hear from the pulpit, you don't get near enough. You know, we can provide the skeleton the framework, but if you're not studying on your own and adding to that and fleshing that out, then it is going to be grossly inadequate, and that's what what is being argued here. We not uh, we read that not only in the temple, but every in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Paul's method at Ephesus in Acts 19 was to begin by questioning the disciples, and in his farewell to that church in Acts 20, he could say, quote, By the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Perhaps Henry Moore overstates the position in the following words, but he brings home the fact that establishing men in the gospel implies more than is generally remembered. Here's what he says. Concerning preaching, that which is most remarkable is this, that whereas there are three chief kinds thereof, namely catechizing, expounding a chapter, and preaching, usually so-called, whereof the first, that is catechizing, is the best, the last is the very idle of some men, and the others rejected as things of little worth. But assuredly, assuredly they expounding of a chapter and catechizing, are of most virtue for the effectual planting the gospel in the minds of men. And of the two, catechizing is the better because it enforces the catechized to take notice what is taught him. This brings into focus the great advantage of catechizing over preaching, 
At sermons and prayers, men may sleep or wander. You've never done that, right? Um, I do it, and I'm preaching, so uh, that's not good. At sermons and prayers, men may sleep or wander, but when one is asked a question, he must disclose what he knows. Pretty powerful observation. A minister may preach and teach publicly for years, and after all his labor, be surprised how little effect this has had on his people. Some of the greatest preachers of all time have learned their lesson in this matter. Richard Baxter could say, I have found by experience that some ignorant persons who have been so long unprofitable hearers. Think about it. Are you listening right now? Are you really paying attention? Think about last Sunday or the Sunday before that. How much of your attention was focused on that? How easy it is to sit. I know. I mean, I'm not pointing an accusing finger. I'm simply saying I think that's human nature. I think all of us have a difficulty with this. And so he says, we've been so long unprofitable hearers. That means the sound's going in your ears, but it's not doing anything. Have, have got more knowledge and remorse of conscience in half an hour's close discourse than they did from ten years of public preaching. John Owen made a similar discovery. Now these are all Puritan ministers. Owen, I believe, was a chaplain to uh, Oliver Cromwell, if I recall. More knowledge, he says, more knowledge is ordinarily diffused, especially among the young and ignorant, by one hour's catechetical exercise than by many hours' continual discourse or lecture. It was the regret of godly Bishop Hall toward the close of his life that he had not bestowed more hours in the exercise of catechizing. He said, In regard whereof I would quarrel with my various sermons and wish that a great part of them had been exchanged for this, those other divine discourses enrich the brain and the tongue. This settles the heart. Those others are but the descents to this plain song. Now, catechizing is difficult. If you've worked on it at all this week, you may have found a little difficulty, though the first two questions are fairly easy. Um, and we're going to talk about some methods to maybe help with that a bit. Considering the great advantage derived from catechizing, it is surely hard to understand why ministers and teachers are so reluctant to take up this practice. Without doubt, the greatest cause for the neglect is the difficulties attending the proper performance of the work. It was the testimony of Samuel Rutherford, a keen advocate of the practice, that, quote, there is as much art in catechizing as in anything in the world. It may be doubted whether every minister do understand the most dexterous way of doing it. And I'm, as I read this essay, I was, I confess, quite convicted as a minister uh, and felt you know, negligent. In fact, almost, almost like I felt like I needed to apologize last week for telling you that we're going to do this. Because I know it's going to be hard, and I know, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't, you know, I, and I decided that was my pride, and uh, so, you, you just, you know, I'm not going to apologize. We need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do a better job as your pastor, and so uh, we're going to.
press forward. Richard Baxter insisted that catechizing is a more is a more difficult as well as a more important work than sermonizing. That's writing sermons. I must say, he said, that I think it easy, it easier matter by far to compose and preach a good sermon than to deal rightly with an ignorant man for his instruction in the necessary principles of religion. He cites Archbishop Usher's opinion to the same effect, who said this, Great scholars should consider that the laying of the foundation skillfully, as it is a matter of the greatest importance in the whole building, so it is the very masterpiece of the wisest builder. And let the most learned of us all try it whenever we please. We shall find that to lay this groundwork rightly, that is, to apply ourselves to the capacity of the common auditory and to make an ignorant man to understand these mysteries in some good measure will put us to the trial of our skill and trouble us a great deal more than if we were to discuss a controversy or handle a point of learning in the schools. The neglecting of this is the frustration is frustrating of the whole is the most frustrating of the whole work of the ministry. Now, I don't know about you, I keep getting insulted every time he refers to ignorant persons because I think he's talking about me. Um, and he is. But that's, that's a good word. Ignorant just means you don't know. You're not stupid. You just don't know. And sometimes we don't know things because we haven't been taught things or we haven't gone to the pains to learn those things, but we're perfectly capable of learning those things if we'll go to the pains to learn them. Now, this is an important point here. The difference between catechizing and the use of a catechism. The reason why many people regard catechizing as a slight and trifling exercise is that they confuse the practice with the mere rote work of asking and answering of questions in a catechism. But there is a vast difference between catechizing and the mere rote acquaintance with a catechism. It is almost certain that the early church did not have catechisms constructed on the method of question and answer. Their great concern was catechizing or inculcating knowledge into people. The early fathers, the reformers, and the Puritans were at one in maintaining that true catechizing is a very different matter from learning the mere letter of the catechism. If we turn back to Augustine, one of the earliest exponents of the science of catechetics, we find him in his book, Catechizing of the Uninstructed, detailing the several steps in the process of wise catechizing. Fathers, I want you to especially pay attention, heads of households, because again, it's not just a matter of saying your catechism, but using this as an opportunity to give some instruction about the meaning of those words. Augustine insists that each pupil be treated according to his individual needs, and that to this end, the catechist should examine him by preliminarily... Uh, by preliminary questioning as to his motives and as to his attainments with a view to making the pupil's error or lack the starting point of his particular instruction. So in other words, you could ask some questions 
about whatever the subject is to see what they know. To see, not, not can you quote the catechism answer, but some general questions about the subject at hand. Why are you here? Why do you think God made you? What is your purpose for being on the earth? See what kind of answers you get in general to see what level of knowledge there is. Now, of course, the answer, what is man's chief end, is going to be a memorized answer, but it's important that those other questions get asked in a less formal way to elicit whether they're, what the level of need is. As we get into some of the other questions, what is sanctification, what is justification, some of the more theological issues, that's going to be, there's your opportunity to explore the knowledge of each person. Similarly, all the way along, the pupil must be watched and questioned and carefully dealt with individually so that he may be caused to know rather than merely be caused to hear uh, the truth, which is the substance of the catechetical instruction. This certainly puts catechizing on a different level from the mere use of a catechism. Although Luther is regarded as the father of modern catechetics, his teaching on the subject is an enforcement of what Augustine said many centuries earlier. In his preface to his book, Small Catechism, he enjoyed it, he enjoined it upon teachers to see to it that their scholars not only knew what was said in the catechism answers, but knew what was meant by them. Quote, to take these forms before them and explain them word by word. Do you know what this means? Maybe there's a word that's in the answer or the question that needs explaining. You know what that word means. And so you want to elicit uh, whether or not there's understanding. It is clear that blind memorizing of a catechism was in the eyes of the Reformers and Puritans an evil to be guarded against. The fear of the divines who compiled the Westminster Catechisms was, as one of them expressed it, that, quote, People will come to learn things by rote and can answer as a parrot, but not understand things. What they had in mind was to give help in true catechizing, and this is confirmed by the words of George Gillespie, uh, who was one of the Westminster Divines, when he said, quote, It never entered into the thoughts of any to tie men to the words and syllables in that catechism. Richard Baxter, in giving illustrations of questioning as a test of the learner's knowledge, says, quote, So contrive your questions that they may perceive what you mean, and that, is, and that it is not a nice definition, but a necessary solution that you expect. From the history of the 16th and 17th centuries, and from the writings of the Reformers and Puritans, therefore, we are able to see that it was in order to promote catechizing or interlocutory teaching that catechisms presenting truth in the form of question and answer were prepared in such fullness and variety at that time. The catechism was primarily and fundamentally a help to the practice of catechizing. You see the difference? The catechism is the thing, the questions and answers. Catechizing is what we're doing. We're giving instruction. We want information there, not just parroting back words. But what was intended to be, and actually was at first a help in later centuries, assumed the place of catechizing, 
The use of catechism degenerated into a practice of asking rote questions with the purpose of securing memorized rote answers. Catechism using stood in the way of catechetical teaching. Um, It'd be like memorizing the answers to a math problem, the right answer, but not knowing how to work the problem. That's what we want to avoid. I think that's maybe a good illustration. So if you just had worked a series, you you saw, let's say you flipped over the back to the key and saw the answers to problems, and then somebody asked you, you know, okay, here's here's a math problem, and you just wrote down the right answer. You, you, you've defeated the purpose of learning math. You need to know how it works and and be able to achieve the answer that way. Um, Catechized using stood in the way of catechetical teaching. The stepping stone became unintentionally, no doubt, a stumbling block. The change came gradually, and there were some like Isaac Watts who were alive to the dangers. Watts was radical in his hostility to unintelligent memorizing. He maintained that words written on the memory without ideas or sense in the mind will never incline a child to his duty nor save his soul. Quote, the young creature will neither be the wiser nor the better for being able to repeat accurate definitions and theorems in divinity without knowing what they mean. In the preface to his young child's catechism, he says this, that parents and teachers should use their utmost skill in leading the child into the meaning of every question when they ask it, and of every answer when the child repeats, that the child may not hear and learn mere words and syllables instead of the great things of God and religion. Let me see where I am here. I think I'll stop there. Yes, that's a good stopping place. So, um, we're going to again continue on this for a few weeks. Uh, Pastor Volkoff will be here next week, but we'll just chip away at this. There's a lot more to this than uh, you might think. And uh, so I do want to say a few words tonight about method of how to go about memorizing. And what I'm about to tell you, I learned from uh, the navigators have what's called the topical memory system, which is a memory system for memorizing scripture. And I think it works uh, in a similar way with anything you memorize. So um, with the catechism, obviously you have a question. Uh, what is man's chief end is question one. And so part of the memorizing should be memorizing the question along with the answer. Um, and what you want to do is at the beginning of the week, let's say you're going to learn one or two questions in a week's time is the first don't try to do both at the same time. Get one of them down, and then when you feel like you've got that one, you're going to add to it. So maybe the first two or three days, you work on the first question, and then then you're going to add the second question as you're ready. I'll say something else about pacing in a moment. You always want to work on getting it word perfect. Not Don't get close, but you'll stumble as you try to say it in your head. Pull out your card or your iPhone or whatever, wherever you've got it written down. And check yourself uh, and be sure you get it just exactly right. Great pains went into writing those. Words matter. Accuracy matters. Details matter. Um, so pay attention to that. That's a good discipline. And so close is good, but it's not good enough. 
uh, keep polishing. Now, it's going to take you uh, two or three days to be able to say it back without looking at it. Though, again, you may every now and then, if it's been, maybe you didn't you look at it in the morning and now you're getting ready to go to bed and you're thinking about it again and you, stuck, you get stuck, of course, pull it out and look at it. But within a few days, you'll be able to say it without looking. We're talking about a sentence or two at this point. So it's fairly easy. And sometimes people say, well, I can't memorize. What's your address? What's your phone number? What's your name? Yes, you can memorize. Now, admittedly, it's easier for some than others. And if you're out of practice, this is good good for your brain. Good exercise. Good to get that going again. But you can do it. And so, uh, and what's the key to that? Repetition. Now, Tommy, I think you can do this in a matter of a a couple of minutes a day right now. Uh, The goal is going to be this. You want to learn it and repeat it every day for six weeks. So if you did two a week, then, and we may slow that pace down. We'll just see how that goes. If you did one a week, at the end of six weeks, then each day you would be asking and repeating six questions. And once you memorize them, you can say them really fast. Um, I know I've done this for this group before, and I won't do it again if it just bores you to death, but I learned, Mary Ellen and I learned, our school yell when we were freshmen in college. Have I done that for you? It's called Carip. We had to learn it in a week as freshmen at Oklahoma Baptist University. And because if you didn't know it, the upperclassmen could torment you and make you do things you didn't want to do. And so we had to learn this. And here I am, uh, 44 years later. Rip, crap, triple, tipple, tap, oh, oh, rinko, linko, hyototamus, hopulus, kithula, capula, gatamus, chinktalak, chinktalik, willikoalka, victory, oh, oh, hoogila, chugula, chugula, tan, ragula, tagula, melican, man, let her go rip, let her go roost, tingula, tangula, terma, loose, zip, bang, OB. I've never forgotten <laughs> The whole school would do that at ball games and stuff. So, um, the idea is to over-learn something so that you don't really have to think about it. What is man's chief end? And you automatically have this connection with that answer. You've been over it enough times that if you go over it every day for six weeks, you pretty much have it. Maybe once a year you pull out your cards or you review just to freshen uh, your memory on those things. But then you're going to drop off the first one that you learned after six weeks, and you're going to be adding a new one. So uh, somewhere, depending on your pace, between 6 and 12 questions that you're reviewing on a daily basis. And again, the faster, you, you just heard, by the way, we had to learn to say that in under 6 seconds. I may have just done that in about 6 seconds. I don't know. I may have said it a little slower. But we could say, I could say it faster. Nicole could say it in like 3 seconds if she'd learned it. But that's just her normal speed. Um, <laughs> Um, the faster, the more you know it, the idea is to overlearn it so you can almost say it backwards. John 3.16. How many can say that? When did you learn that? You don't remember, do you? But you learned it somewhere back there and it stuck, and so now you can say it. Um, 
So, and, and hopefully you have other passages of Scripture that way. So, I'm telling you all this, and one, to give you some specific things to do, but also to encourage you that you can do this, and at some point, it just becomes part of you, and it never leaves you. It's always in there. I'm going to tell a story one of these, one of these Wednesday nights about an interesting situation where that came up in real life. Uh, and the, the knowledge of the catechism was a pretty remarkable uh, story in World War II. Um, so, um, any questions about method there? Learn it. Say it every day. Once you learn one, add a second one. You're going to do the same thing, but keep keep reviewing the first one. So if you did the first two, hopefully you're ready tonight to say your questions as we say. But I want to say, fathers and parents at home, I hope that you will use this. Sometimes the question comes up, what do we do for family worship? Well, here's something you can do. Let everybody answer their questions and then talk about them. You don't have to have a 30-minute discourse, but you can have a five-minute discussion about it, ask some more questions, see what's understood, explain a few things. Of course, that means you've got to understand them too, right? If anybody would like a commentary on the Shorter Catechism, those are available. I can order those. If you need copies of the Young Catechism for Young Children, check with me. I might have some of those in the office. I do have some hard copies of the Westminster Shorter Catechism in my office. Questions? All right. We're going to break up into our groups. And as you get in your groups, um, somebody be in charge to ask the questions, the two, first two questions. If you can't say them, that's okay. Say, I didn't learn my questions this week, but I'm going to work on them next week. We're going to very soon get to a place where we're at different places, okay? Uh, we're not all going to try to stay exactly on the same question. Some will be able to move faster than others. But don't give up and don't not come if you didn't learn it. Just confess, we'll forgive you, um, and then you can try again next week. Just hearing them said, okay? So one of the things you're going to do if there are five people in your group and you say, what is man's chief end? They're going to five times hear the answer in that circle. So, got it? And then pray. Um, we will, uh, I'll just let tonight just take your prayer request to your group and, uh, and pray there like we've been doing. Any other questions? Okay. Go. Nope.